Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Native American community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Jeremy Red Eagle, a citizen of the Sisseton Wapitan Oyate. And for over the past 10 years, he's been working diligently to learn the Dakota language from various tribal elders in order to pass it and the culture on through teaching cultural activities to both young and old. He's an artist steeped in Dakota language and culture. He's a recipient of the Minnesota Historical Society's Artists in Residence for 2019 and 2020. And he's now a fellow for the First Peoples Fund, as well as recipient of various other honors. The foundation of Jeremy's artwork is the Dakota culture, finding expression through genuine love for his people. What makes Jeremy so interesting is his relatability to so many of us who grew up on the reservation. He hasn't let decisions he made in his youth define who he is, and I sense that he's not going to let what he's doing today define who he's going to be. He's in a constant state of growth, learning, and teaching. He's hesitant to consider himself an artist, despite being a celebrated and recognized artist at the top of his game. So, let's jump into this interview with Mr. Reddy. questions um it's uh it's really great for you to allow us into your your space here uh would you be able to introduce yourself and where you're from and a little bit about yourself please oh you jeremy redigle makiapi da kodia matozi demi is sito akpeto oyanke hemata ha tokno erwati gash montana hechi chakmapi the hopkins to ahe my name is uh, Jeremy Redigo. I come here from the assistant Wapton Oyate, uh, but I actually grew up in Montana. I also descend from the uh, Assiniboine and Dakota from Fort Peck and Fort Belknap in Montana, uh, but I'm enrolled here. I moved back home about seven years ago and have been working with our Dakota language and that's what I currently do is the program manager for the Dakota Language Institute for the Sistin Wapton Oyate. So quite often in a lot of uh, a lot of cases um, we our careers are sort of formed um, sort of at will uh, opportunities come up um, things happen in different ways um, before we get into that uh, can we talk a little bit about your influences uh, as a young man and today? Yeah. Um, I definitely look up to our elders. I think that that's my, my biggest influence with the work I do, the way I live my life, all of that. Um, both, you know, growing up in Montana. And, and in Montana, I lived amongst different, different tribes at different places where I lived and grew up. And then um, also um, coming back home, you know, that, that's what I do. Uh, work with our, our elders, our, our language speakers, our knowledge keepers. And so they, they're kind of that uh, vision into the past, I guess, you know, and then also, you know, bringing it to, to current times. And so 
that's what that's what influences me. And then on the other hand, I also work with youth. I've worked with youth for over a decade now. They're the balance to that because then they also influence me because I learn from them. Uh, working with young people, you know, gives you a lot of insight, keeps you grounded, keeps you kind of like young at heart. And so I really get inspired from both ends of that spectrum. These young people who have vision, have a whole life ahead of them, you know, all of these things that they can become and, you know, goals that they can reach. And then our elders who have lived through it all and have those experiences and listening to their stories and how to take those, those life teachings and put it into my own life. How have you... different directions here um one of the questions is that that i ask is about um how have you formed your your career around uh, maybe college or post-college um especially in that that young that young early 20s mid-20s era um can you talk a little bit about that even from the the artistic sense too yeah for me um when I was young, I, I grew up with a lot of struggles. I grew up with a lot of struggles like so many of our people in our communities come from. And uh, drugs and alcohol and a lot of the, the negative side to, to life. And that, that definitely impacted, you know, the, the path that I, I got on later in life. But um, through, through our culture, and in art, to me, there's no separation of that. That is very much intertwined with our our Dakota way of life. And so going through those, those hard times, you know, kind of formed me for what lies ahead. And finding how all of those, you know, our language, our ceremonies, our, you know, powwow dancing celebrations, things like that our foods, the, you know, the, the artistry part of things, how all of them intertwine with each other. And it was at a time when I first started to, to get sober and to change my life and wanted to walk a good path in life. I wanted to start working with young people because I wanted to do like prevention work to prevent them from going down the same path that I did in life. And I, by chance, I was working at an Indian center at the time back in Montana. And this Indian center was hosting a workshop put on by the International Traditional Game Society. And I uh, received a scholarship to attend this workshop. And in this, they teach, you know, games that our people used to play a long time ago. And then part of that is the crafting of those games. And so, you know, me, I've, I think I've always been kind of a crafty person, make things, you know, whatever. And but in that workshop, the the instructors kind of paid attention and, you know, kind of noticed that I was like pretty good at it, that I was, you know, would finish and complete my crafting things prior to the other participants. And so that caught their attention and then they kind of wanted me to start working with them and 
kind of take them, you know, give me more knowledge about these things and they, cause they had different levels to these workshops. And, um, so at the same time I was able to, that was kind of my foot in the door to start working with youth was teaching these traditional games, going around to schools, going to different workshops, things like that, teaching this stuff. And then I would get more into like the crafting and the, you know, making different items and stuff. And then just naturally through time, I wanted to take it to the next level, you know, because a lot of the stuff was real basic, the, the items we made, the materials we used. So as I went on and started to do this, I, I wanted, when I go into a museum and I see items that our people made, like, I want to know more about that. I want to know the stories connected to it. I want to know the methods that they use, the purpose behind it, all of that. And so it just naturally through the years, it, you know, I just expanded on that. And it was probably uh, when I moved out here six and a half, seven years ago, I started at the college. Like I said, it was all focused on the language, but the college was doing um, traditional arts workshops that they were funded through the American Indian College Fund. And my advisor at the time, she was the one that overseen those. So the, one of the first ones that I joined was a workshop on bow making. And I'd always wanted to learn how to make bows and learn about our traditional Dakota archery. And so I, I joined that class and here I, through that, I met a relative. She's actually my cousin that's from here, Randy Boucher, and she's uh, married to Joe Gallego from Pine Ridge. He was the instructor of the class. And it was a large class, so it was hard to get some like one-on-one -on -one time, you know. So, you know, we, we completed it, able to make a bow, learned a lot. But then I was selected out of all those participants to actually go out to Pine Ridge and spend a week with him and learn more about bow making. And I made both another, another bow and then a sinew back bow and some arrows. And then from that point on, I, I joined every traditional arts workshop that the college had hosted. I taught a few of them and yeah, I, I struggled with the concept of even calling myself an artist. Cause like I say, these things are intertwined in our culture. So to me, like the, the items and the things that I make are usually what you would call like utilitarian, like, you know, like a bow, like that is, it's a, it's a tool. It's something that you use hunting protection, whatever it may be. But then our people, when they did these things, they were beautiful they were elaborate and so it's it's a form of expression so not only are you doing something that connects you to the past it also can be useful for you as a tool to use but then you can express yourself through it and how you make it and so that's what really started my journey as i guess being this you know identified as an artist you know which i still struggle with that concept of that so from then it just grew. Um, my, one of the, my greatest things that I love to do, which I'm conflicted with because I know like how a lot of museums acquired items from our ancestors, you know, so I struggle with that, but I believe those items are there. They're there and we can learn from them and let's not all the bad things that happen not have been done in vain and let's 
let's learn from them. Let's go in and let's, you know, inspect those things. Let's look at how they did these things, you know, and, and they can give us insight into some of the oral traditions, the research we may do. These items can, it's like putting a, a face to the name, I guess, you know. And so that's, that's a lot of what I do is uh, try to really, when I teach these things or share these things with people, is also sharing the stories and the names and the language and everything that is connected to those items. I think that's, that's a really great point about the, the museum piece. Um, I'm, I'm in the same position where I struggle um, about accountability of some of these items and how they were acquired. And what's, what's been great about um, the Plains Art Museum where I'm at is they've, they've educated themselves on NAGPRA and they have a very well-established recording system um, within the museum for these items. And we are open our collection is open to the public. And so if anyone wants to take a look at them and they have questions about those items, um, you know, if we can't answer that, uh, answer those questions, we will seek those out. But we're also open to the idea that if these items are better served at a different location, then that's where they need to go. And I think since NAGPRA um, was enacted in the early 90s, um, there's been a lot of efforts uh, by a lot of tribes to repatriate these items and appropriately so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when, when I, I've gone through our collection and I've seen some of these items, um, you know, I, I, I grew up here. Um, I grew up here and my grandmother, my aunt, just lived right down the street. And I remember they would make star quotes and I used to just sort of, they would be in the kitchen. I kind of sit on the side and just sort of listen to them. I couldn't really understand them. They were speaking Dakota and they would laugh and, and they would kind of carry on. And so some of these items that, that we have, I can hear them. I can hear the people that created these items. And I think it's so important that what you said to the effect of, um, you know, it's these items are, are created with, um, I think, intentionality but also um, care, you know, they weren't created for art's sake. You know, these, when, when, whether they were a hundred years ago or 30 years ago or even 10 years ago, a lot of these items, um, I think they were made with, with uh, like I said, intent. And I don't want to use the word pride, but definitely, um, definitely with, with, oh, geez, if there's a better word than pride, <laughs> you know, um, Love. Love. Yeah. There we go. There we go. I think that I think that's a, a big thing that I've learned in my journey of doing this is that how we honor our relatives. How we honor our relatives. And when you go in and you whether it's actual items in the museum, old photos, whatever it may be, and you see a jacket or a vest that belonged to a little kid fully beaded or fully quilled and and once you do those art forms and you know the time and effort that it, just the prep time to go in and make something like that let alone the actual you know, a, you know putting on the beads or the quills or whatever it may be and then the child may only wear it for a little while even though of course they were probably you know handed down but 
that showed the love that their mother, their kunshi, their aunties, their sisters had for them, you know. And I think that we as Dakota people, that if we can embrace that and we can start to bring that back, I think one thing that I struggle with is like selling my art or my items. And this goes back to, it goes back to what our people endured during 1862. And I remember researching and reading about them being in the prison in Davenport because I had Nunkano that was there. He was in prison there. And they would make these little trinkets out of pipe stone or out of whatever. They would make little carvings, little trinkets, beads, things like that. And they would sell it to the non-natives to get 10 cents, whatever it is. And so this is something that has been generational as far as, you know, what is our art worth? You know, do we sell it for the means to just merely put food on our table? And I think that so in that process, we've lost a lot of the being able to put forth the, the work to adorn our children or our relatives that we cherish. And not to say that those things don't still happen because they do, but a lot of times it's not as frequent or it's overlooked because of the fact that a lot of times we have to do our art to to put food on the table and to sell those things. And that's, that is one way how museums ended up with a lot of those pieces was because our people were not in a good place, you know, survival wise back then. And that's why they would give a lot of those things up was just to be able to feed their children. So how do we balance that moving forward with, you know, that I, that it's okay for me to sell some of my art and to make some money for my family. And at the same time, I still hold true to those true teachings of that we do these things for, especially the young men and the young women, the, the, the boys, the girls, like taking the time to make them something that is going to show your love and appreciation to them and help them to know their place in our society. So when you, when a mother and aunties and kunshis make their child or their niece or their takoja bonnets and um, the, the amulets with the turtles and the lizards and the, the cradle boards and, you know, these, these items that that's showing their love for them. You know, our girls were uh, fortunate to go through their Ishnati ceremony, their coming of age. And part of that was two. One is that you are making items for your daughter to adorn her with when she comes out of this ceremony into womanhood. But then at the same time, you're teaching her how to do these things. Badihecha is what we say, you know, to be industrious. And so as a man with your young boy, your nephews, whatever it is, like the bow and arrow, what does that represent? You know, you're a provider and a protector. And so you are showing them that you took the time out of your days to create this piece. And then at the same time, you're, you're helping them to connect and identify with what their role and a responsibility is as they're coming into manhood. And then you take it further and you teach them how to use their hands. And your dad actually taught me this uh, phrase and he says, um, 
Nape Taya Kichungo. And it's, you know, use your hands well. Use your hands well. And so, like, that's how my mind, like, my wife always teases me, says I'm ADHD. <laughs> I don't really believe in a lot of those labels, but I'm the type that I'll be sitting at home and I, I can't even relax and watch a movie. Like, I'm like, I always have to be doing something. Always have to be doing something. So you can do something good. You can do something bad. Find a way to express yourself. Find a way to help people. Find a way to provide for yourself. Stay busy. Use your hands in a good way. Create things that can express your love and gratitude for life and make other people happy. So even when I make, you know, right now I've been doing a lot of uh, more jewelry. Jewelry type stuff is easier for me to sell. I'm not quite as attached to it. But I, you know, like I use elk teeth in a lot of my jewelry. And elk teeth have a significance to our people of what it represented. And they represent long life. They represent that you're a provider and a protector as a hunter, all these things. And so when I, whether I'm giving them as gifts or whether I'm selling it to people, I, I still take pride in it and that it makes me feel good that somebody enjoys something that I created and that they get to wear that. Opportunities um, can present themselves to us at different points in our, our careers or in our lives. Um, how have those opportunities changed over time for you? I, I believe in what's the, what's the word that they say? Like you, you manifest things or you, you know, if you, if you focus on what you're for and not what you're against, that these things will come your way and kind of put it out to the universe. And I think that that's kind of the path that I was on, even though my focus is on language, it's most definitely culture. And so <clears throat> these opportunities arise and Sometimes I believe, like with my upbringing and, and so many of our people that I know that we, we struggle sometimes. We struggle with our confidence. We struggle with self-esteem. And I remember the Minnesota Historical Society with their artists in residency, they, they do them, I think, like in three-year increments. You know, they, do, they have three different rounds during that three years. So they had just gotten refunded with it in that first year. I, I applied for it. And I, it's a shot in the dark. Like I, you know, I, did, I wasn't expecting nothing. I wasn't expecting to even be considered for it, you know, but I applied for it. I get notified that I'm a recipient of an encouragement grant for $2,000, no strings attached, just to encourage you to keep on doing what you're doing. In other words, you, you had a good application, you just weren't selected. And there was only two because they, they select two artists and residencies every go round, and then they select two encouragement grants. So like, oh, that's pretty good. I was I was excited. I was I, I wasn't expecting that. And then the the individual tells me, uh, you need to reapply when it comes up again because you were a strong contender and they you actually came down to a discussion between the two artists and for whatever reason they selected the other, but you were that close. So the next go round comes and I didn't apply. I didn't apply, you know, and, and like I said, I still struggle with that self-esteem of thinking that I'm deserving of something like that. So then the third time it comes up, 
and my advisor at the college, the, the individual that oversees their program for the Minnesota Circle Society contacted her and said, you need to tell him that he needs to apply for this, that he needs to apply again. So I had a little bit more time on my hands, so I, I created some more pieces and I redid my, my um, proposal and I submitted it and, and I received it. You know, and that, that, that's, it was a huge deal for me. It was huge. And so that was kind of the start of that. And then I, you know, I completed that, finished it. And then I've, I've received a few others. I actually just had a phone call this morning. I have received a fellowship from the First People's Fund for my bow making. Congratulations. Uh, thank wow. you. Yeah. And so, and it's to teach young people teach young people in our community about bow making and the importance of it and all of that. So I believe when you do things with a good heart, you do it with the right intention. You know, money doesn't drive me. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's our, I say it like this, it's my responsibility. It's my responsibility to learn these things. It's my responsibility to share these things. And in the end, with anything within our culture, whether it's the language, whether it's, uh, a drum if you're a singer you know my wife does quill work there's responsibility and there is you know you know that's something like your dad would say you know you know there's a lot of things attached to it there's a lot of things attached to it if you take care of those things those things are going to take care of you reciprocal you know because that's our that's our Dakota way of thinking and living you know mm -hmm. and so that's how I see any of these things is that like if I am doing what is what I'm responsible to I'm sharing these things I'm, I'm also being responsible in how I learn these things and I obtain this knowledge they're going to take care of me whether it's through a grant whether it's through somebody paying me to come into their community whether it's somebody maybe they just want to trade some food for a something I made, you know, like either way, it's, it's feeding myself, feeding my family. And when we're, we're taking care of each other like that, you know? So I, I think that that's the best way that I can explain it is I struggle as an artist to put a price on my, whether it's the actual art pieces or the services of like coming into a community and teaching and sharing. I, I struggle with putting a price on those things because it's not about the money. It's about the responsibility. What would you say to the 18 or the 22 year old that's listening to us right now? Don't let nothing hold you back. You know, and it's because, it, you know, I didn't have the roughest life, you know, but I, I came up out of, I've, I've been down there. I've been down at the bottom, you know, and and I don't want to say that I've fought and climbed my way up out of that, even though you could probably say that, but it's that I chose to look at life through a different lens. And that was through, you know, that the, the glass is half full and that you, we can't force things in life. We have to allow things to be, and you just take those steps. If you take those steps to initiate something with a good intention, it's going to meet you halfway and, it, and it'll work out and it's going to happen. And when things, you know, get you down or, you know, roadblocks come up, find a way to, around it. Because I believe that, you know, that, that 
this life is about balance, you know, there's good and bad and it's around us all the time and we're never going to have all of one, you know, it's, it's up to us to, to walk in, in balance with that. And so we are in difficult times as a, as a people, as a society, as a world, as a planet, we're in difficult times, but there's, there's a lot of beauty out there. There's a lot of beauty out there, you know, find a way to express yourself, writing, you know, painting, quill work, whatever it is that you do to express yourself, find a way to do it and be real with it. Be real with it and let the world know who you are and what your story is. And it's going to bring healing to yourself and it's going to bring healing to other people. Be real with yourself and it'll take care of you. Is there a place someone can find... Uh your work or find you on social media um on facebook i just go you know under my name jeremy red eagle i also have uh uh Tumpi, which is a name that your dad gave me which is really cool in the language i love it i love the sound of that and it's that they adorn themselves beautifully is i bet i think the best way that i could translate that and so that's more on for my like the jewelry stuff but um and then on instagram i just go by wambadi duta and then um i haven't shared a lot of like the, the bow making and other stuff like that um i'll probably probably gonna get pretty serious about that here pretty quick here in the next month or two getting going on on that stuff other than that i don't have a website or anything like that i just but people can reach out to me message me whatever and yeah jeremy thank you so much for your time Yep, thank you. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Jeremy again for his time and sharing his story with us. Uh, the work that he's doing on the system of Wapatoniate is so important. The preservation of the culture, the preservation of the stories of our elders. As our elders are passing away, and many of us know this, we lose lose parts of our culture we lose parts of our history and so much so at this point because at least for the assistant wapitoniate we're down to less than 40 individuals who were born that spoke dakota before they ever spoke english and his work and the work of the dakota language institute is preserving those stories it's preserving the old way of speaking and the old way of thinking so that generations to follow will be able to learn and to be able to get a perspective that we would otherwise lose. So the work that he and everyone does there is so incredibly important. I hope that um, the system of Yate continues to see the value in the work that they do. And despite the change in administrations in the future and uh, as priorities change uh, through different administrations, I hope that the Dakota Language Institute is something that is a top priority uh, for generations to come. So I want to thank Jeremy and everyone there for the hard work and the very important work that they do. I sincerely mean that. Uh, so, yeah. so with that said, uh, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and a perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. 
I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna, that's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists, on Facebook or at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. Uh, programming note for the museum, the Plains Art Museum. Currently, we have a monotype exhibition from Roger Brower, the previous guest on this series in season one. Uh, he's got a great series, Things I Remember, at the, uh, at the Plains Art Museum. It's there through, I believe, June or July. Um, so if you get a chance this spring, go check it out. It is absolutely worth your time. And of course, uh, seeing his work is so incredible. So please, uh, check that out. If you have a suggestion for someone to, for me to interview, please reach out to me and message me. I would really like to hear from you. So that's it for this week. You take care, and I will see you next time. Thanks.